Well, good morning, Sunrise. How are you guys doing this morning? God is good. It is, it's a great Sunday morning because it is sun, sunshiny outside. Praise the Lord for that in the middle of Michigan winter. Um, why don't you guys stand with us as we prepare to worship, as we prepare to sing this morning. Um, I was looking at our songs this week and opening up the scriptures this morning, and I was just reminded um, of the words that we're going to sing in this song, how God is with us in our trials and in our um, circumstances where we feel like we're, we're just in a battle, we're fighting. Um, well, this song, this song we're going to open with, Lion and the Lamb, says the lyrics, Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before him. So let's, let's celebrate that. Let's keep that on our minds this morning as we worship, as we sing. That no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, He is with us. He is fighting our battles with us. And we don't have to do it on our own. He is with us. So let's sing together.
Thank you. 
thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. That you're always with us, fighting our battles. There with us in the valleys. There with us on the mountaintops, celebrating with us in joy. free of our sins of the guilt and shame that honestly so many of us carry on our backs sometimes like a trophy but God we ask you to lift that off of us today that heavy burden that yoke that guilt and shame with joy with happiness, with hope because Jesus you are still enough Good morning, Sunrise. Good morning. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, here goes. <laughs> Early 60s, yes, that was me, church basement, Jackson, Michigan, and uh, my Aunt Evelyn, who wasn't really my aunt, but that's what we called her, if she spotted a new face in the crowd, we all had to sing this song. There's a welcome here. A welcome here, there's a Christian welcome here. Hallelujah, there's a welcome here. A welcome here, there's a Christian welcome here. And that's what Sunrise is all about. We don't sing the song, but that's what we do. Okay? So, it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, it's pretty cool to look around and see new faces, and we've met some new folks here in the last couple of weeks, and that's pretty neat. We're pretty excited about that. Jessica, Evan, good morning. Glad to see you. So, it's February in Michigan. <laughs> There's not a lot of announcements today, and it kind of feels like uh, hibernation, stagnation. That's what I'm calling it, okay? <laughs> hibernation, stagnation, and uh, we need to break out of that. So, we're going to give the men a chance to get out of the cave and, and do some uh, breakout work at Pub Theology. Pub Theology is really cool. Noah Matthijs leads it. I can't tell if it's more pub or more theology, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> and it starts at 6.30 Tuesday night at Hudsonville Grill. You'd love it if you would come. And if you don't come, you'll never know. So just come once and see if you like it, and we'll make an extra chair and uh, sit you right down there. Tuesday night, 6.30, Hudsonville Grill. So, <laughs> Sunrise kids day camp this summer from middle June to the end of July with a break for the fourth your kids will love it sign up starts next week and that gives you a chance to get a discount on the whole program parents so your kids will love it they might thank you for it but even if they don't sign them up okay <laughs> kids day camp starts uh, in mid-June and the sign up starts next week 
All right, Dennis. Byron Hurd, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> All right. So one more quick announcement before we get started, and if I can figure out how to work this thing. So if you remember when I started, I said there were three things. Probably you're like, old man, that was like four months ago, and we don't remember much of anything you've said since then. When I, when I started, I said there were three things that I wanted to do this year. Number one was to the best of my ability, I wanted to attempt to preach the scriptures. You remember that? The second thing was that I wanted to, again, with a slow and steady process, get to know the people who call Sunrise home. And... Uh, you know, I, that, that's been a slow and steady process, but from everybody as old as Dale to as young as Alethea, we've been trying our best to do that. But there was a third thing. There was a third thing, and it said that I wanted to begin to cultivate a culture of discipleship. And there's probably been some of you that are asking, well, what does that mean or what does that look like? We're fixing to find out. Does that sound okay? Yeah. So during this Lenten season, so each Sunday beginning on the 26th of February, right, the, the, the dull winter blues in Michigan, uh, running through Palm Sunday, we're going to be having on-site small groups that we're calling discovery groups after the morning service. Okay, so now there's a lot of information here, so, so hang with me. Um, in an effort to cultivate a culture of discipleship, to help us get to know one another, uh, we're going to be shortening up the service, right? So still a full service service, right? Singing, preaching, the whole nine yards, but um, dismissing at about 10.45 a.m. from the service as it is. We're going to take a short five-minute break that is in, going to include donuts, um, so as we were talking, right, we were talking in staff meeting, if Justin Timberlake can bring sexy back, <laughs> I can at the very least bring donuts back, um, right? So we're, we're, we're working that out to where there's going to be some donuts. After a five minute break, we're going to be hosting on site age or life stage uh, small groups. Now, Dennis, what, what does that mean? What, what it means is that we're going to, um, from middle school up. Uh, we're going to have small groups here on site that are basically going to be led by and participated in people that are sort of in the same uh, age or life stage. Um, children's church is going to be lengthened uh, to 11.30 a.m. so the parents can participate without worrying about their kids running up and down 28th Street. Um, <laughs> but, but there's also this, right, so, so I don't know how you guys feel, but Amy and I have often talked about as a, a two-working parent home to give up one more night of the week sometimes for us um, as our kids were going through this stage uh, seemed like almost an impossibility. Um, and so redeeming this time that we've already set aside for, for worship is something that we really want to do. Now, this is going to cause an all-hands-on-deck kind of a situation, though, for us, because th the reality is Julie can't do this all by herself. So, as we're leading up over the next three weeks or so leading up to this, we're going to be making several asks. Pastor Dan is going to be asking several of you, hey, would you be willing to lead some of these discussion groups? And I'm, I'm telling you right now, you guys, it's super uh, simple, super easy, quick and nimble. We'll be telling you about that uh, as we're, we're coming along. Um, but we're also going to need help in the kid zone. So if you can pass a background check and you can wrangle children, um, right? And you can, right, if you can give at least one Sunday, 
and say, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to help with crowd control. Why? So that, so that we can, as Sunrise, Communi- Sunrise uh, Ministries, experience community and enhance our ability to be disciples of Jesus. That would be wonderful. We're also going to need folks that are willing to be greeters because this may come as a surprise to you. Some of you are back there and you're thinking, oh man, this sounds great. 40 or 45 minutes with people that are my own life stage, people, right? So, so I, I get to meet other young married folks. I get to meet other people that have young kids. I get to do this. There are some of you, the introverts out there among you are like, oh, Dennis, this is the worst thing you've ever said in my entire life. <laughs> All right? Not to worry. There will be people that will be stationed, at, right? You'll get donuts too. Um, <laughs> And so we're also going to need folks that will honestly be willing just to sort of stand out in the foyer while this craziness is going on around here and just greet guests and love people who don't know what's going on. And, and I don't know whether you've noticed this, but we've had several, like lots of new faces sort of stagger through those, those doors over the last several months. This is what we want to continue to do. Amen? Yes. We want to be a place that has arms open wide where people can come and they can find love and they can find grace, and they can be pointed to Jesus. So, starting on the 26th, so some of you are going to be, uh, Dan's going to be reaching out to some of you. If there's anyone out there among you that would say, you know what, leading a discussion group, and, and guys, this is as simple as, as, as it is. Um, the discussion group is basically, I'm going to preach a message that's going to be over a particular passage. You're going to break into groups, and you're going to read either an extended portion of that passage or an adjacent passage, maybe a parallel passage or something that's connected to that, and then you're essentially going to ask four questions. Are you ready? Where is God or God in his plan in this, in this passage? How is the Holy Spirit meeting you through this text, and what is he calling you to do, and who is he calling you to tell? Now, tell me that's not simple. Amy, you could even lead a small group like that. She was like, no, I can't. Leave me alone, old man. (laughs) To the best of my ability, we want to preach the scriptures. We want to get to know the family here. But we want to begin to cultivate a culture of discipleship that says to the world, we're here not only to encounter Jesus, but to be changed by him. So, um, there's going to be more information that's going to come. Uh, but that's what's going on. So if you are willing and ready to help uh, with uh, Sunrise Kids, please reach out to Julie. Uh, if you don't reach out to, to her, we will be reaching out to you. <laughs> if uh, you're willing to, to be a small group leader or willing to help with that, Dan's going to be reaching out to several folks. But if that's something you're thinking, man, I would love to be involved in leading some of those discussions, uh, reach out to Dan. More information to come. And with that, why don't you stand up? We're going to take three minutes and grab a cup of coffee, greet some folks around you, and then we will start the morning message. So good morning. Uh, Today we're going to be uh, continuing on our series on the sunrise pillars, those things that uh, are core values, those things that kind of rest on Jesus and and hold up our mission and our our vision here. And today we're going to be talking uh, about the second installment in the pillar of be authentic. Um, And so I know you'll notice I've got an extra here with me today. So would you please welcome my dear friend, Hannah Bendema with me to preach this morning? Thank you. 
So um, Hannah is a former associate. She's the youth director at Bella Vista Church, uh, a really good friend. We are really happy to have uh, Hannah here today along with her father, Al, and her husband, Pete. Wave, you guys. Pete's a very handsome man back there. Look at him. I love you, buddy. <laughs> their girls are <laughs> yeah, their, their girls are here with us well, as well, so Phoebe and Collins. Collins is the, the little uh, blonde-haired girl, and if you want to know who she is, she's the one that treats me with ridicule and scorn. That's kind of our, uh, our relationship. Um, but Hannah, thanks for being here today. Thank you. And so this is not the first time we've kind of preached this passage together. We've done this before. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I asked you to come uh, and do this with me is I was laying out the sermon series. I decided we were going to do uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, 24 through 34 uh, for this, this second installment of Being Authentic. And I thought, boy, it would be great to have Hannah come and to preach this very familiar passage with me. Um, This passage is probably known to most of you, even if you don't know what it is uh, without having seen it. But it's a passage where Jesus encounters a woman that society has marginalized, pushed to the side, and allowed to remain nameless and faceless. We don't even know this dear, precious lady's name. But she came to Jesus in desperation. She came to Jesus looking for hope. And in the second week of our, of our series dealing with, with authenticity, um, last week we looked at what it meant to be authentic or how authenticity played a part in those who are self-righteous. And this week we want to look and see how, how authenticity changes those who are ostracized, depressed, or othered. Now, if we're honest, none of us are 100% one of those things. None of us are always self-righteous. And none of us are always othered and ostracized. But the reality is that far too often, too many of us find ourselves put on the outside. Too many of us find ourselves hiding our our sin or our failures because there isn't a place where we can drag that out into the light and find hope and find healing for it. And so, what I thought we would do today is we're going to preach the text. We're going to tell some stories, and we're going to hopefully together find hope and healing in the person and the power of Jesus. All right. Sound okay? Yeah, we'll dive right in. All right, let's go. We're going to start with Mark 5, 24 through 34. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around and asked, who touched my clothes? (laughs) You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So we peek back at the very beginning, 12 and 25. I'll read it again. 
A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This woman was... I don't know what that is. Siri. Siri's the... Siri's pretty Siri's the devil. She's possessed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and as you were saying... <laughs> Apparently she knows too. So this woman knew what it was to feel alone in a crowd. Um, her uncleanliness was perpetual. Basically, she had been experiencing for lack of a better word, a menstrual cycle for 12 right. years. Right. Um, and there was nothing that she could do to stop it. Um, she knew what it was like to be avoided. Because she was perpetually bleeding, no one wanted to be around her. Nobody wanted to touch her. Didn't want her in their homes. Right. Ceremonial cleanness, right? This, yeah. this was an issue of the Jews being ceremonially clean. Right. And she, so she knew, I mean, 12 years, it's one thing, four days, once a month, but this is 12 straight years. So I've been told. No breaks. So I've been told it's a bad deal. Yeah. Her life circumstances, the fact that she was bleeding for this long, put her literally and figuratively on the outside of everything. She was on the outside of society. They wouldn't allow her to come into places anywhere, maybe even marketplaces. We don't know for sure, but she was just not welcome. She was on the outside of the worship community, correct yep. me if I'm wrong, not being able to go to synagogue because she was unclean. Yeah, so, so there, was, yeah, there, there were provisions and things like that that could be made, but essentially it would be like you would have to carry a stadium seat with you everywhere that you went. Yeah. And you couldn't, right, you couldn't sit on the pews or whatever, the benches, right, or you would make those unclean. So you'd have to carry your stadium seat. You couldn't touch anybody else. It would be like one, a one person, uh, uh, remember how we set up during COVID and things like that? Right? All the chairs spread out and things like that. It would be like a one-person isolation chamber. Yeah, all by herself. Yep. And she knew what it was like for people to walk on the other side of the street from her. So because the community knew who she was and knew what she was going through, they avoided her at all costs. Oh, the lady's walking this way. I'm going to cross the street, and I'm going to walk over here. Heaven forbid she touch me. Right. And in a world where women were judged by their ability to have children, so... Our jobs back then as women were to bear children and not being able to have kids already put you on the outside of the normal. But this made it worse. She couldn't have kids. She was just bleeding. And that, for her, I'm sure, as it would be for, I think, any woman, um, very difficult to understand and comprehend as to why. Yeah. And isolation being that very persistent reality for her, um, it had to be not only physically painful, because for any of us who have experienced what she was experiencing, even for our four days, it's not an enjoyable thing, mm -hmm. and it's 12 years. But it was emotionally painful. Think of not having anybody who not only wants to be in the same room as you, but won't touch you. Yeah. Not even arm around the shoulder, pat on the head, handshake, nothing. They didn't want anything to do with her. What's next? Well, so she finds herself right on the outside. The second thing that we see from this passage is that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. And this, the second point is that the, this woman, she knew what it was like to suffer at the hands of healers. Right. And I think this is, this is really important. And, and 
and I don't want us to gloss over too quickly, but relationally, you've talked about that, right? She suffered relationally. And, and I mean, Hannah, we were talking about this morning with, with Julie about, we, we see that right now, right, with how many right. y- young adults are struggling with depression and anxiety and things like that. And, and there, there seems to be this dotted line to the isolation that some of us have experienced over the last several years and things like that. So we're made for relationship. She was outside of that. She was outside uh, medically. She had, she had suffered at the hands of the medical providers. She was out of resources. She was out of ideas. She was uh, scientifically, economically, medically, she was out of options. There was nothing left. But the thing that strikes me as a, as a pastor is that she had suffered at the hands of, of the religious healers as well. Is that she was treated like, and maybe not intentionally, and maybe with right. the best of intentions, and, and, and maybe by people who were just, you know, trying to uphold the law, right? But she had, she had suffered it by the religious community not being who she needed them to be. And as a pastor, this brings me up, this brings me up short, and it really asks me how I'm living my calling, right? Because so often we pastor types or religious types, we think that our job, we mistake our job for the Holy Spirit's job. Can I get a witness? We feel like it's our job to convict people or to point people's sin or to poke people in the eye or or, or to do all those things. And again, for sure, part of the calling is to correct, to teach, to train in righteousness, right? That's part of it. But let's remember, friends, what Jesus said to the Pharisees last week is that, woe to you, teachers of the law, when you do what? Shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces. When you tie heavy weights around people's necks. And, and that's what this woman had experienced. Uh, on 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So she put all the hope she had left into Jesus. Yep. Into the one that she had heard about yet not yet experienced. Yep. Um, Jesus was a teacher. That was one thing that she had heard. For sure. We've heard Jesus referred to as teacher or rabbi often. Yep. Um, she would have heard that. She would have heard that he was a healer. His miracles and the words of his miracles spread fast. And she would have heard that. It would have probably fueled her hope just enough. And she knew that Jesus welcomed outsiders. We hear he eats with tax collectors and sinners and look at his disciples. They were not, you know, the top brass. They were bottom of the barrel. He didn't go after those who had done it all right. He went after those who sinned. And he called them to him. Praise so the Lord, knew, right? Good exactly. grief. Yeah. She knew that he welcomed outsiders in, and that's exactly what she was. And she thought that Jesus might just be able to do something for her when all hope was lost. Jesus spoke of hope often. And the redemption that he gave frequently, or that his father gave. Um, and then back to the miracles that she had heard of. It just, how could she not think that there was a possibility, that there was hope that this man could help her. It, just, it had to be strong enough for her to take that chance. Um, 
Her hope in Jesus overcame her situation. So 12 years of being unclean and not being welcome in a community, not being allowed to touch anyone or go certain places, she pushed through a crowd right. of people, yep. touching them, because the crowd was so close around him. And she pushed her way through. It could have had people in the crowd that were from her community who knew exactly who she was. Right. Or heaven forbid, they find out what was wrong with her and then push her out. But she pushed her way through because she'd heard about him. She had hope against all her past experiences. She had put hope, I'm sure, in her doctors and the religious people in her town. And to have hope in one man after losing all hope in everyone else, it just... It's a whole nother level, her hope, right there. Even if it was a small amount, it was a whole nother level. Um, But she hadn't experienced Jesus yet. She had likely experienced God in her past in some way, shape, or form, um, even if it was just through stories. But she had not experienced Jesus yet. So she didn't have hope because she had felt Jesus' love before. She had it because of what she had heard about him, and it was just that teeny little bit that she needed left over. So she comes, she touches Jesus, and at once Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him, and he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Can you imagine how indignant the disciples would have been? Yeah. Like, what in the world? Um, You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So when she came to Jesus, she found that the Jesus that she encountered was even better than the one she had hoped in. This wasn't a transactional encounter with the Savior, you guys. So often we, we, reduce, right, we reduce these encounters with Jesus as transactional, right? We come to God and we give him our sin and Jesus gives us a ticket for heaven. And then when we die, we give the ticket to the Holy Spirit who's the conductor on the gospel you know, train that takes us to heaven or Hogwarts or wherever it takes us. And, right? and, and, and we, 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 we denigrate these things, but the reality is, is that this just wasn't some transactional encounter. She received fulfillment for everything that she was, she was lacking. She received restoration to the believing community. She received restoration to her, her social community. She received relational restoration that was necessary and powerful. And now, now imagine this, is that Jesus looks at this dear woman who is, right, nameless and faceless. Yeah. Not even Mark tells us her name, which to me seems, it's like, come on, dude. Can you ask the woman her name, right? (laughs) Betty, I don't know. Um, Good Hebrew name, Betty. Um, (laughs) But Jesus looks at her, this nameless and faceless person, this person that's been on the outside, and he calls her a familial term. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Experience shalom. You've been living 12 years in utter chaos. You've been living 12 years on the outside. You've been living 12 years with all of this pain and suffering physically, emotionally, relationally, religiously, all those kinds of things. Now allow the peace of God to rest on you and live in freedom. Dear daughter, live in freedom. You see, I wonder, Hannah, what it must have been like 
for this woman to heal those familial words from Jesus, right? She's, she's pressed through this crowd like you talked about. She's, she's touched the hem of Jesus' garment and he looks at her and he doesn't see her as a problem. He doesn't see her as a distraction. He sees her as a dear, precious daughter. The only name she needed. So, obviously I've got you here for a reason. You do. <laughs> why, does this, why is this story especially meaningful to you? So it took, a, it took a little bit before I realized that this story was special. You don't always see, because it's not exactly the same. It's right. different. Um, mine isn't written down on paper. Oh, I mean, it is. Well, it is. Today. It's here. It's, yeah. <laughs> but it's not written down in a book. Okay. Um, but it, it is similar. So I was, I was raised in the church from birth till now. In fact, I work as the youth director in the church I was raised in. Yep. So the church my parents were married in, right. where we grew up, where I went to youth group, is where I work. Um, and my, my life was always happy. I had loving parents. I had loving family. Aunts, uncles, cousins, we're all very close still to this day. Yep. We, we are full of love and support, especially inside our family unit. Um, when my oldest sister, so 22 years ago, my oldest sister passed away, and that definitely changed the dynamics of our family, sure. but never once changed the fact that we were loved, accepted, supported, taken care of. We were daughters inside this family, yep. and that was never going to change, ever. Um, when I was 22, I found out that I was pregnant, and... The, the big title on top of that was the fact that I wasn't married. So pregnant at 22, an adult old enough to make proper decisions, and I was an unwed mother-to-be. Um, and the first thing that hit was fear. Unlike some people who find out they're pregnant and they're elated, I was scared. Yeah. Um, what was I going to do? What were my parents going to think? What were my friends going to think? And then the biggest fear of all was what were the people at church going to think? Because there is where I had learned how we were supposed to go about right. doing this, what we were and were not supposed to do. Um, instantly, before I had any interaction with people, aside from my family, um, I felt ostracized. I knew that they were going to look differently at me and that that was going to change the dynamic of my life at church and that... Um, I didn't know anybody who had gone through this before, at least not personally. I'm sure I had heard stories, but no one that I knew and knew well yeah. had ever gone through this or was going through this. Um, and because as far as I knew that it wasn't remotely acceptable in my faith, I knew that I would be an outcast. Um, and aside from pain and discomfort that women go through while pregnant, often, um, I started to go through the pain of being an outcast inside of our church, not just outside where I could hide the fact that I wasn't married. I couldn't do that at church. They knew who I was. They knew I wasn't married. I couldn't stick a ring on my finger and pretend. It was, it was a known fact. Hmm. Um, and that's when I really started to notice the sideways glances or the shaking of the head or the full-blown stares where they make eye contact with you and just 
stare at you. Well, right, and, and you're not easily intimidated, but no. you, you had said something about, like it was at, at one point, there was a couple of these occasions that were so overt that like, you're the one that breaks eye contact yeah. first. Oh yeah, yeah. It just, the eye con- it was like they couldn't help but stare. <laughs> why are you staring at me? I knew why, or at least in my you head thought, I knew right. why. It, yeah. Um, and then whispers would happen. You'd see two people talking as you walked by and they'd follow you and they'd talk and like out of a movie. And then hearing it myself, sitting in a bathroom stall, hearing two people talk about me and how sad it was and how disappointing it was and me being in there hearing them talk. Um, that right there just solidified the fact that I knew I was an outcast here, that there was no one here who could fix what was happening and I was unwanted, or at least outcast. That's, and that, right, that's how you were feeling. That's what, right? that's what was present. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, church was supposed to be the big group of family, and they were, they were still there. But for me, it was now a place that I didn't belong. There weren't a bunch of other girls in the same situation yeah. that I was in. Um, it was the place that I now felt unwanted as opposed to wanted. Um, and I knew who God was. I knew who Jesus was. Yeah. He had worked in my life before. I had experienced him through friends and family and strangers when my sister had passed and through multiple other poor decisions I made growing up. I had experienced God before, but I couldn't see him through this fog yeah. of feeling unwanted. But then something happened. Yeah. Yeah. Then something definitely happened. Um, I received a blanket for uh, my son by a woman named Carolyn Crawford. She doesn't go to Bella Vista anymore, uh, but I didn't know her by name. I might have recognized her face, but she was a stranger. And she didn't give me the blanket because she thought that if she didn't, you know, my kid would be freezing cold and never have a blanket himself. She gave me the blanket because she was excited about the birth of this new baby inside the church. People started to come out of the fog, checking to see how I was doing, asking when I was due, and being genuinely excited about it, Um, calling him a bundle of joy, as opposed to any other number of names somebody could use to describe a child who is coming out of an unwed situation. Um, And then my son came, and he was a gift that was given to me in spite of the fact that I had sinned. I had never liked the idea of someone saying that he was the product of a sin. Okay, yeah. Because that is not what he is. Never has been. He's 15 years old now, and never has he ever been a product of sin. He was a gift in spite of the fact that I hadn't done it right. Mm. Um, But he was here, and in spite of the fact that I still felt a little unwelcome, I watched people start to love him. Yeah. I watched him grow in the church and people to dote on him as if he was a part of their family. Yeah. Um, Sherry Quackenbush, yeah. Ron Huey, yeah. Sherry Stegman, Jan Mazer, Rhonda Harris, and so many hundreds, I'm sure, people at that time loved my son because he's a child of God, not a product of sin, not an outcast, not the son of an outcast. And it started to push that fog away. For me, God worked better here. Jesus worked better here than I could have hoped for. Because not only was I starting to feel loved and welcome and accepted again in this church that I had been at my entire life, but my son was being loved and accepted 
And there was, I didn't have to give explanations, and nobody had to give me explanations as to why they loved him. They just loved him yeah. unconditionally. And I wasn't an outcast anymore. I was accepted, loved, a cherished sister in Christ, and a accepted, loved, and cherished daughter of the one true king. And that was it. That's all that mattered. The outcast title disappeared. And so, Sandra, the part of the thing that's beautiful to me is, is this, is that in, in, in your situation and in our day and age, this is kind of how this works, is that Jesus isn't walking around. No. Right? In, in the same sense, right? We can't, you know, get word, hey, he's coming to, you know, he, <laughs> he's coming to Walker. Right? right? And you press through the crowd and you, you're, yeah. you're touching the hem of his garment. No, it's, he, he chooses to meet us through us. Yeah. Right? And, and one of the things that I'll never get over was, was that, and, and if the worship team could come and, and start to get a song, so we're going to do something here today. One of the things that I'll never get over was that when we, we talked about this, we preached this passage at, at Bella Vista several months ago, um, there was a lady that came forward as we were standing after the service, and, and I remember um, this lady that was probably close to 80. Oh, yeah. Looking at you and through tears and through sobs saying, your story is my story. That your son is my daughter. And the reality is, is that we were just kind of standing there and you're, right, you're, you're, you're praying with this, with this dear precious lady. And the reality is, is that none of us knew that that had been her story no. 56 years ago. Yeah. But yet here it was that in the retelling, right? And this, this is, I think, powerful. This is why it's important, friends. This is why it's important for us to retell our stories. Even the parts of our stories that we don't often retell is because sometimes God does resurrection, redemptive work through the retelling of our stories. Amen. It's that when we say, this is where Jesus met me when I was broken and when I was tired and when I was in a fog and when maybe, right, there were sideways glances. There were, right, you did hide in that stall. There were terrible things that happened. But Hannah, probably some of that was, right, you're, you're, you're putting some of those things on people oh, yeah. too, right? Oh, yeah. Because there's this shame and this guilt that, that you're carrying that Jesus says, listen, I want all of that. I want every bit of it. Because every bit of the sin and the shame and the guilt and the struggle that you're carrying, he took on himself. And when a people of God choose to be authentically committed to following Jesus, we become a place where people can drag their less than flattering stories out into the light, kicking and screaming, and find grace, and find redemption, and get this, others can find healing through the retelling of our stories. So Dan's going to lead us in a song. Dan the team is going to lead us in a song. Hannah and I are going to just go to the front. And we're going to stand down here. And here's, here's the invitation today. Maybe some of you, as we're, we're sitting and you're talking, like, man, I've been there. Man, I've, I've felt alone in a crowd. I, I even feel maybe a little bit alone today. Maybe you've been there. You've been like, man, I feel like I've suffered at the hands of, of healers. There's, there's been way too many pastor types that have, that have met me with less than gracious words and shaking fingers. Maybe you find yourself in, in a place where, where you've, you've known God and you've encountered him, but, but there's still a piece of you that needs to find hope and needs to encounter 
Jesus. Could I just invite you maybe this morning that there's a couple of broken people up here that would love to pray with you? That would love to maybe hear a, a piece of your story? That would just love to, to let you know that no matter where you find yourself, there is hope and there is love. Maybe you've been looking for a church for a long time. Maybe it's taken you eight years to find this place. But you stagger into these walls. And friends, to the best of our ability, I can tell you from the staff, to the elders, to the directors, to to the people that are around here, we want to be a place. where people who come in here, no matter how broken, they can experience the grace and love of God through us. So maybe that's where you are this morning. So Father, we pray for these friends. We pray now that you would just move in their hearts. We thank you for Hannah. We thank you for her story. We thank you for your word. So God, we pray that you would move as we we sing and as we worship. We thank you for these, this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's use this time to sing, to worship, to have time for ministry. But also let's use this time to give our tithes and offerings. We have some QR codes in front of you on the chairs or there's a bucket in between the doors in the back. So let's worship. Let's give.
can we thank Hannah again for being with us here to minister the word? So as we go from this place, be reminded, there is no sin that is too big that he can't handle. We do not presume upon his grace, but we luxuriate in the fact that no matter how far, listen to me, we have fallen or we have run, that he will run further and farther toward us. That you are loved, that you are cared for, and that those stories that you don't tell if you're just not careful, he may want to use those as healing and redemptive moments in the lives of others. So go from this place, knowing his love, luxuriating in his grace, and experiencing his peace. And God's people said, Amen. you're dismissed.